This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. And so what I want to do this morning is, uh, it's, it's been so rich and full, and uh, I want to direct our attention to the Word of God for a few moments. And yet, most of what I would like to say has already been said in word and deed. And so if you don't mind, instead I'm, I'm going to, more like if we were talking in my living room, and I would just direct your attention to where what we have just done is actually found in what Jesus said. We've been talking here at Crossroads about discipleship for some weeks now. Discipleship, it's, it's, it, it's what we call following Jesus. It's not being a fan. Nick did a great job a few weeks back helping us understand the difference between a fan and a follower. In our culture, we're used to people having fans. But Jesus wasn't seeking... It's a little hot there, Mike, I think. He wasn't seeking fans. He was looking for followers. And that Old Testament idea, even the New Testament idea of what a follower, a disciple looked like, someone who is being trained like an apprentice, with the idea that one day I'll be like the one who's been training me. So we've been exploring what that means for us as a church family. And we've noticed that it's possible for us to, to sort of kind of assume that doing what we do now equals discipleship. But the truth of the matter is, it's way too easy for us to slide into a service like this. Nice music, nice people, nice coffee, da-da-da. We feel kind of good, feel like closer to Jesus, and then slip out and think, there, there, I did my thing. When in truth, this is really just one expression and, and, and privilege of being a disciple. But it does not equal being a disciple. And so we've been kind of challenging each other, reminding each other, and so I want to look at Jesus' command today, just for a few minutes, and ask a couple questions. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't, there's a, a blue hardcover Bible there on a pew or a pew, yeah, a chair next to you. Uh, or I'll just project it up here. Matthew 28. You know, after Jesus rose, then we, we have this scene. Starting in verse 16. And then the, dis the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's just observe a few things here. Eleven disciples, because Judas is no longer here. They went where Jesus told them to go. Already a hint of the fact that they were disciples of his. And when they saw him, they worshipped, and still some doubted. I want you to notice that doubting did not stop them being followers. Didn't stop their worship. For those of you that are thinking that eventually you could follow Jesus if you would eventually get rid of all doubt. And then Jesus came to them. So they had already seen him from afar, but now he seems to be drawing close because he'd been living with these guys for several years now. He came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. What? Why do you think what he says next is, I mean, why does he say this first? What, what's the, is, there, is it important that all authority has been given to him? 
you better believe it. You see, he has conquered death itself. Therefore, sin has been, sin's power has been obliterated. He's conquered death. Therefore, anything he says next, there is no other power or authority that exists that could stop it. All authority is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, we'll talk about this more as we get closer to Christmas, but perhaps you know how Matthew's Gospel starts. The opening of Matthew's Gospel is about Jesus coming as a baby. He's called Emmanuel. God could dwell with us. And now here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, indeed, he says, I will be with you. So, what, what is it that Jesus is asking us to do here? I think, first of all, I think it's very important that we notice what his command actually was. Sometimes we, get, we already notice that we can get mixed up ideas if we don't look closely. So what exactly was his command? It, it might, if you just read through this quickly, you might get the idea that there were four commands. Go, make, baptize, teach. That's what it might seem like in English. But actually that's not the case. There's really just one command in the sentence, and it's to make, make disciples. The reason go isn't a command actually is, uh, well, it's, it, uh, the, I could use some grammar illustrations, but basically it's kind of like when you send somebody in your family to the store. You say, hey, when you go to the store, make sure to get eggs. The command is get eggs. The fact that you're going to the store is not the purpose. As you go, as you're going, that's really the idea here. As you go, and, and this idea is, as you live, as you, as you spread out into life, make disciples. Now, um, what about uh, baptize and teach? That's interesting. Well, we're supposed to make disciples. Baptizing and teaching are actually, well, all of you already know this. They're participles, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody knows. I mean, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so they're participles of um, instrumentation, actually. Yeah, so, so we can close now. You've been blessed. <laughs> All that means is that they're how you get done what gets done. You might go to the store on your bike. You might go to the store in the car. You might take the bus. We make disciples by baptizing and teaching them. So those are the pieces. And I really want to focus on just one today, and that's that idea of baptizing. Because baptism was about identification. It was about saying, I'm with him I'm with them. Really, one of the things that we've been talking about for weeks here is this, this idea about our faith that we kind of, we mix faith with what our culture says. We're so independent. We're so individualized. We tend to think that following Jesus is something that each of us chooses to do and each of us has our own journey well, that's kind of true, but we're missing the bigger picture because it was always done in community with others, relating to others. I want you to notice who the 
command was given to, by the way. Sorry. He says, and he said to them, them, it's plural, he's talking about the disciples. We miss the point. He doesn't say to each of them. He says to the group, to that body, this, this group of guys who've been traveling with him and learning from him. In Mark's gospel, when he, when he tells this same story, in Mark 15, 16, 15, he says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to, every, to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. A little confusing. Oh, I have to be baptized to get saved. No, he's referring to this kind of connection about faith and baptism, being identified with who? You those others who are already following him. Baptism is all about membership. It's about family. All the things that we celebrated today, they're key to being a follower, a disciple of Jesus. See, there's a universal church. The church is that universal church is made up of every single person who's ever lived who put their faith in Jesus as their savior. And then there's a local church. Those people in a specific area who believe and worship together and serve together to reach their community. Universal church, local church. Both exist. But I want to point out that Jesus only intended one kind of person to be a part of the universal church and not the local church. There's only one kind of person that he intended to be part of the universal church but not the local church. They're dead. Dead Christians can be a part of the universal church without being a part of the local church. Apart from that, he expected one to include the other, being a part of a local body of believers. Maybe you take this for granted. And I just want to make sure that today, as we've welcomed new members, and as we've acknowledged babies coming into their family, and because they're a part of our family now into our family. That that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. These things are pictures of discipleship. You know what membership is? It's relational. Again, Jesus walked and lived with these 11. And the people came to him and he, he slept with them and ate with them and traveled with them. And it was based on a relationship. It's... Membership in church is biblical. Sometimes we have to make this point. In fact, I'm going to arm you today so that you can respond to others who will say, well, you know, I'm into church and Jesus and everything, but, but I, I don't believe in membership. What they're saying is they don't believe in discipleship, I think. Now, I understand why, because if you've been to a church, kind of like a family, if you've had a family that was dysfunctional, if you've been to a church that was dysfunctional and harmful, it kind of jades you. You can't say, oh, I don't ever want to do that again. And yet, being a part of a body, being a part of a family, is what Jesus had in mind. I'm just going to show you some passages. We're going to go quick. It's biblical. In Acts, it says that uh, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Guess what? They knew there were about 120. They counted. Acts 2, those who accepted his message were baptized. There were about 3,000 added that day. Somebody was counting. Who do you count if there's no membership? Who do you count? But many heard the message and believed, so the number of men who believed and grew to about 5,000. I just want you to, somebody was counting somebody. Who do you know who to count? 
We could go to the mall and have church there, and our numbers would go up if we just counted everybody. In 1 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy instruction. He says, now no widow should be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, well known for her good deeds. He's giving instruction about how to care for those who have needs within the body. But I want to point out the fact that there was actually a list. There's actually a list of those. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like kind of a membership to me. They knew who was here and who was on the team. You do realize that every team has a roster. I don't know if you've tried to go to a professional ball game and run out and help them out on the field. Good luck with that. You see, every team has a roster. They know who to count on, and that includes who's not a part of this. It's interesting that in Acts 6, when some of the people were being neglected, that the elders said, you know what, let's choose some other men from among you. Among who? Among the whole city or among the church? Again, I think you get the point. Somebody had to know who's in and who's out. By the way, it's not just a matter of who's in. It's also important who is out. In our study of 1 Corinthians, we saw that church discipline was something that God directs us to do as a church, not to be hateful or, or judgmental, but to help stop a brother or sister in Christ from making more mistakes. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but how do, you, how do you kick someone out of church when there isn't an inside of church? All of you are welcome to come to Crossroads. We say this all the time. You get all of the goods and services we provide free of charge just by coming here. You don't have to be a member. In our culture, membership means all special privileges. Here, we give away the special privileges to everybody. You see, here at Crossroads, membership is held for those who say, I don't want to just get the goods and services. I would like to actually invest more than I'm getting out of it because I believe there's going to be a dividend someday. We call them shareholders, actually. How are you going to put people out of the church when they sin if there's nobody already listed in the church? Oh, this is one of my favorites. Hebrews 13. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. <clears throat> because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. <laughs> yeah. Those of us who lead around here will have to give an account. But you do realize, like, if there's no membership, no list, who do we give account for? That's just not fair. Everybody? Who should submit to me? Not everybody. Some of you come here and you love it here. And I'm, we are so glad you do. But I, I, even if, I would never, I don't have any right to expect you to submit to me. I'm not your pastor. Oh, Mike, I think of you as my pastor. Why, that's great. I'm glad you think of me as your pastor. But you never actually asked me to be your pastor. Would you like me to be your pastor? Yes. All right. Then join. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. How else do the leaders know who they're responsible for? How else do you know who should be submitting and who shouldn't? On top of all this membership, this idea that we're celebrating here, it's spiritual. Okay? Do you realize that all the commands found in the New Testament, you can't really do almost any of them unless you are already connected to other believers. You, in your bulletin, have that red, bright red sheet, the one another's. That's just a sampling, by the way, 
of some of the commands in Scripture that talk about how we are to interact with each other. Guess what? If you're living on a deserted island, you can't do any of those. You say, well, that's stupid, Mike. I don't live on a... But we live as though we're on an island, isolated. I, I slide in here to church, have their little thing. I slide out. Nobody sees me through the week. And I kind of like it that way. Nobody gets in my face. Nobody gets in my stuff. See, I stay in control. You can't do any of those commands. If you say you want to follow Jesus, you can't unless you're a member. Now, here's, here's a little catch, just to be honest. Okay, I realize what happens. Some people aren't members, but they sort of act like it. I know some of you are doing it. You're not members yet, but you don't just come, you help, you serve, you whatever, you do. You do some of that. That is so neat. Why aren't you a member? You're already doing the job. Isn't it interesting that we can't do what God wants us to do apart from having these relationships with each other? Oh, by the way, here's just a point if you want to talk to somebody. It's actually legally required. We're an organization, right? We own material stuff. We have rules and regulations, and somebody has to be accountable. Do you really want me to be the only name on that list? I would be scared. No, you see, we come together. And together we own this responsibility. And we keep each other in check. It's actually legally required. But what I want to get at today is this. It's natural. It's the most natural thing I can imagine. We just celebrated dedicating babies. Babies can be raised by almost anybody. If, they're, if the only goal is to keep them alive. But everyone understands that babies do best when they're in a family of mutual love and commitment and safety. It's the most natural thing for a baby to be a member of a family. And when we see a baby or a child who isn't a member of a family, our heart breaks and we say, that is a tragedy. And yet, if we're not careful, churches like ours are full, half full of orphans. People who want to talk about love, but they never really get to experience being loved or loving because they're too busy keeping everyone at arm's length. I know why you keep us at arm's length, because sometimes we're weird. I'm just going to say this for myself as one of your pastors. I will hurt your feelings. It just comes natural. I will disappoint you. I promise. I disappoint me. I will fail you. I'll even make you a promise, perhaps, and not keep it. I probably will. But I hope we're still in a family together. I hope we are still committed. Let me ask you, in your family, do you have, you have people in your family that you're related to by blood? Do you also, how many of you have people in your family, they are in your family, but you're not really related to them by blood? How many have people like that? Almost everyone. So then why are they in your family? Why would you describe they're in your family? Be, oh, legal, marriage, whatever. It's more than that. Well, they're one of us. I've got their back. you got mine. People could make fun of my sister. I'd beat them up. But if my sister irritated me, I'd beat her up. But nobody else could beat her up. <laughs> nobody else would beat her up. Blood is thicker than water. It's the most natural relationship in the world.
Babies without families are a heartbreak. Disciples without church families are an anomaly. So here's the only message. I'm, I'm not preaching to those of you who just joined. <laughs> I'm proud of you. I'm so happy for you. I'm not preaching to those of you who are members. You're saying, got it, Mike. What I'm saying, and I'm not, actually, I'm not preaching to those of you that are here, but you're not members. I'm actually not. I'm not fussing at you. What I am trying to do is arm us to understand that what we have done today is central to the gospel itself. After all, when God described himself to us, he called himself a father. And when someone had to be sent to redeem us, he sent his son. If you're here today and you don't understand that God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus. And when Jesus came, he didn't just teach. He didn't just, wasn't just an example. But when he died, he made a payment for your sin. The very thing that was separating you from God has now been paid for. And now he's just offering eternal life. He's saying, come home. Come to me. What we have done today is what it means to be disciples. We are committed to one another, even though you get on my nerves. <laughs> and even though I don't want to hear what you have to say, I need you to come to me and correct me when I'm wrong. And I need you to be a little bit irritating so that I get sanctified. <laughs> now, don't, don't go too far with that. <laughs> Some of you seem to think you have like a spiritual gift of that. Okay, I'm not... Doesn't it make you almost feel bad for the people that aren't here? Do you know how special this is? It's at the very core of the gospel. So don't think, folks, that you can say you love Jesus and at the same time reject his people. I mean, after all, when somebody likes you but they make fun of your kids, well, okay, kids, I guess that's, anyway, uh, you know, how do you feel when somebody picks on your family? Hey, 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 you don't know what they've been through. Hush. So if you hear and you love Jesus, just be reminded we have to love his people. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. When Jesus came from the Father, the Son gave his life to redeem us so that we could be welcomed back to the family. He makes us his children. In these moments, you do the business you need to do with your father. And if you sense, if you are convicted that you have somehow been devaluing God's people in some way, then you get that straight with him in these moments. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.